Welcome market participants to another three things in credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. It's getting wild and woolly out there, and that has nothing to do with the weather. Yesterday's move in the two-year was the biggest shock since Paul Volcker hiked over a weekend back in 1979. If you don't know who Paul Volcker is, you might want to find the Google machine. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, inflation fears. It's become a national obsession. Our thoughts, what it means for credit markets. Two, consumer debt jumps higher. A sign of confidence or stress we'll explore. And three, recession risk. One respected reading out there suggests it could be 50%, 5-0, in the next 12 months. We'll clue you in. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Well, we can't responsibly comment on things happening in markets without talking about inflation. Consumers, businesses, politicians, and yes, markets have become obsessed with the topic. Here's how we think about inflation as it pertains to credit markets. First, a bit of context. The nature of the problem. Two shocks. A demand-side one, where stimulus created too much money chasing too few goods, and a supply-side one, where that demand and the pandemic has overwhelmed supply chains. Two other factors have exacerbated the problem. One, extremely low interest rates engineered by the Fed has helped to drive home price appreciation well above the rate of growth in the economy, which reduces affordability and in turn is driving rents higher. And two, energy prices, which marched to the beat of its own politically driven drummer, have soared. The solution? The Fed can fix the demand side by tightening financial conditions, raising rates and reducing its balance sheet. The supply side problem will fix over time. How much time? By the end of the year, according to a multitude of market indicators, including tips break-evens, five-year, five-year forwards, or the Bloomberg consensus, to name but a few. The San Francisco Fed is showing COVID-19-sensitive inflation, things like autos, growing at 6.4% year-over-year, while the COVID-19 insensitive inflation is growing at a much more manageable 2.9%. So there's a strong sense that as we move into the endemic phase of the health crisis, inflation will simmer down. All right, how does inflation affect credit? Well, it all depends on how entrenched and how high the rate of inflation becomes. That's not a dodge. The details matter. Inflation can be beneficial to lenders as it strengthens collateral values, say, on property or automobiles and it allows borrowers to pay back their debts with cheaper dollars. Deflation, on the other hand, is far more insidious, which is why policymakers want manageable inflation. Manageable inflation can be good for banks as it expands margins, commercial real estate, where many leases have inflation-linked rent escalators, energy and basic materials, and industries that have pricing power where higher costs can be passed along to consumers. Industry sectors hit harder by inflation include those with less pricing power, such as consumer staples, retailers, and utilities. High inflation can be detrimental to creditors because it increases the risk of recession. High inflation increases the cost of living to consumers, eats away at their savings and wages. It is especially damaging to the creditworthiness of middle and lower income folks. From an industry perspective, it impacts cyclicals, including consumer discretionary. 
So making that call as to how entrenched and how high inflation will ultimately become is critical to how credit performs. In general, high inflation, accompanied by the Fed tightening financial conditions, will undermine the value of longer duration assets like stocks and bonds. We've already seen that in the new year, along with investor outflows. How the rest of the year progresses depends on how aggressive the Fed will be in cooling demand. And on that point, we believe they see what the market sees, which is inflation coming down into a much more palatable range, call it 25 to 3%, by Q4. And that argues for a measured approach to tightening. And that will help credit. All right, on to our second thing, rising consumer debt. Now, as fans of the podcast know, there is much to take comfort in when sizing up the credit worthiness of the U.S. consumer. Soaring household net worth, historically low debt service burden and loan delinquencies, and abundant job availability. So we were a bit surprised to see the consumer rediscovering the joys of debt. The New York Fed just published its quarterly report on household debt and credit for Q4, and it shows the largest increase in debt since 2007 in both percentage and nominal terms. That's up $333 billion for those keeping score, or 2.2% from September 30. The current balance, $15.6 trillion, is 10% higher than the year-end 2019 level, just before the COVID outbreak. Keep in mind this is happening despite the much ballyhooed $2.4 trillion in excess savings from stimulus checks sitting on the consumer's balance sheet ready to be spent to ensure this economic party continues. So what's driving this borrowing binge? Much of the increases in home mortgages and auto loans, which of course have been at the center of what the consumer has spent money on through the pandemic period. So those notably inflated prices are certainly going to account for part of that increase. But rising consumer debt can signal two very different things. One, upbeat consumer confidence, or two, building stress from consumers struggling to make ends meet. In this instance, we believe it is very much, but not exclusively, the former. Remember, consumers in the aggregate are flush with cash and rich with assets, the value of which has soared in the pandemic. It should not be unexpected that consumers will relever off of a cyclical low. We are confident that the vast majority of consumers do a good job of self-regulating. In the event that recession and unemployment risks rise, they are likely to pull back their spending and borrowing. Where we would be concerned is when we see retail sales fall off, as they have in the most recent reporting. And that suggests, quite frankly, a return to normal, where some consumers, typically in the lower income brackets, those without much room for error, become overextended. Are we worried about the impact of this cohort? No. Importantly, other color coming out of the New York Fed's report is just how low bad debt indicators are. Very low, according to the Fed, with bankruptcies the lowest seen since the series began in 1999. Not much to worry about here, at least for now. On to our third thing, recession risk. We mentioned the other day in an interview we had with the Washington Post that we thought recession risks were on the rise. The risk elements suggesting that are several, starting with a Fed policy error, tightening extra hard and fast in response to, you guessed it, unexpectedly high inflation, along with an energy shock and heightened geopolitical risk. That's not to say that we believe a recession is likely within 12 months, something that there is broad consensus on. But the probability has risen. Over the next 12 months, the Bloomberg consensus for a recession stands at 15%, 
and there are a few outliers up in the 25 to 30% range. But something we saw the other day from our good friends over at Deutsche Bank put that risk at 50, 50%. We're pretty sure markets have not priced that in. The basis for that observation is something we pay close attention to, consumer sentiment surveys. Specifically, DB focuses on the gap between the present conditions components in the University of Michigan and the conference board surveys, which historically is highly correlated with the slope of the yield curve. That gap is the most pessimistic in more than 50 years and is consistent with recession risks approaching 50% over the next year. We have long talked about the negative readings coming out of the Michigan survey in particular, which tend to focus more on financial health and sentiment of the consumer. And that's where we believe the weight of ever-rising inflation, as well as fear and frustration related to the pandemic, are evident. And we think the future, through the eyes of many consumers, is far more daunting than the recent past, as the loss of stimulus checks leaves a mark, political polarization continues, and the pandemic lives on. DB admits its indicator, comparing the two surveys, is a bit obscure, but it does highly correlate nearly 80% to the yield curve, and that gap currently suggests the yield curve should be flatter. Yesterday's move certainly followed suit. DB is quick to point out that the pandemic could have altered these signals. It adds, quote, if inflation dissipates, labor supply returns, and COVID effects wane, we would expect this gap to rise, sending a less pessimistic signal about the future, unquote. In any event, this is something we all should be watching. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, inflation fears. Based on what markets are seeing, this should prove to be manageable, and that's good for credit. Two, consumer debt jumps higher. We are watching for stress among lower income groups, but otherwise, and in the aggregate, this is not something to worry about. And three, recession risk. Near-term probabilities are climbing. Be on the lookout. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you next week.